This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us again for the latest episode of Cafe Connect. So Cafe Connect is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen, by the Public Engagement with Research team here at the University of Aberdeen. And thanks very much for joining us. I'm Chris Crowley. I'm the manager of public engagement with research here at the university. And this Cafe Connect series is a little bit of a response to the current social distancing regulations. Normally in our cafes, we would, you know, we would all physically meet together. We would have a conversation and at the end of it, we would encourage question and answer. And just because this is on social media, and um, that doesn't mean that we don't want questions. We really encourage people to email in questions to peru at abdn.ac.uk. That's P-E-R you at abdn.ac.uk but I'll read that out at the end of the podcast as well. So normally this series looks at the latest research that's happening at the university but we're really today we're looking at the, the life of the university and we're looking at King's College Chapel which really is you know so emblematic of the University of Aberdeen, one of the most important buildings in Scotland, certainly one of the most important college chapels. And I'm joined today by two of my colleagues. Um, we've got Mary Lee Anderson, who is chaplain to the University of Aberdeen. Thank you, hello. And Dr Louise Page. Hello, hi. Hi, so Louise is actually is, is a really good person to start with because um, Louise is a lecturer in the School of Biological Science at the University of Aberdeen, but she has a relationship with the chapel going back 31 years to the time when she first arrived in Aberdeen as a student. She's been a member of the choir. She has researched um, on the, the history of the chapel. She's read all the books going on it. She's taken a number of, of tours and spoke to so many people about the chapel. And in some ways, you know, Louise, you're, you're really sort of emblematic again of the passion that people have for the chapel, the fact that the chapel is so close to the hearts of so many of the community of the University of Aberdeen. So it's, as I say, it's great for both of you to join us here. Um, shall we shall we start with, with yourself, Louise? I mean, how, how would you talk to us about the chapel? Would you start outside and will we take a sort of virtual tour that, imagine a visitor arriving, coming along the high street and they they come across the chapel and you've got Elphinstone's memorial in front of it. Shall we start there? Well, I would normally start there because Elphinstone was the founder of the university back in 1495. And we have this amazing memorial to him outside the chapel. And from there, you can look at the west end of the chapel and you can see the inscription on the west wall, which actually says that work began on the chapel on the 2nd of April, 1500. We don't know whether exactly true but it was about then certainly in 1500 and the other thing we can see from there is the amazing crown tower which was emblematic of the political situation at the time the fact that Scotland um, was um, a separate independent country and the crown was an imperial crown and that basically said that Scotland was an independent country and it didn't owe allegiance to anybody else. So that's where I normally start looking at the west side of the chapel from beside Bishop Elphinstone, who started it all back in 1495. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's, there's a, a couple of things here that sort of spring to mind. I mean, you've got that very specific date of the, the 2nd of April and, and Elphinstone, I guess, 
is that something that he chose for a, a specific reason or I, I think Jean Geddes has suggested in, in her work that, well, as, as specifically it's chosen as the 2nd of April because that's the, the date upon which the uh, the Temple of Solomon was started to be built and the, the measurements of King Scholar's Chapel, Bishop Elphinstone, wanted to, to mirror those of the, the Temple of Solomon. But I think Jean Geddes, who was retired him Professor of History of Art from the University of Aberdeen, suggested in one of her work that that also meant that the chapel would have been bigger than that of St. Silvater in St. Andrews, making it <laughs> therefore the largest oh, yes. <laughs> in Scotland at the time. And, but Bishop, I mean, that's that's indicative of Bishop Elphinstone. He was a great man with great plans. I mean, mm. Elphinstone was a man who obviously worked for King James III, James IV, um, involved in international diplomacy and international trade. He was, uh, amongst many other things, he did so many different roles and you know, the chapel is in some sense is a reflection of him as well. I, I mean, there's an interesting question here, which is, I'm, I'm not sure if any of us can answer it. Would he recognise the chapel if he stood in the high street and looked at it? I think he would today, because the West Face is much as it would have been in 1509, when the chapel was consecrated. Um, the tower, unfortunately, fell down in a storm in the top of it in 1633, but it was rebuilt very much after the original model, so it still has that imperial crown on the top. So yeah, I think he would recognise it. And if he went inside, the first bit in the West he wouldn't, because that was put in in the earlier part of the 20th century, but if he went through into where the choir stalls are, he would recognise because they're all the choir stalls that he had installed in the early part of the 16th century. And if he looked up at our fantastic ceiling, he would recognise that as well, because that's part, that is part of the original chapel. Ah, no, actually, yes, to, to, to get distracted yet again, the, uh, the the ceiling, have I read that that's um, modelled on the Guildhall in Bruges? That it is, yes. So already we've touched upon Scotland being an independent nation, we've touched upon relations with Europe. Ah, sometimes it feels as though it's the same ideas which circulate around and around. Eh? But anyway, sorry, I, I, I get slightly distracted there. Um, it's, I mean, that's the fantastic point, isn't it? The Elphinstone from, you know, 525 years ago or closer, I suppose, to 517, 18 years ago would actually recognise this building. I mean, that's one of the things that makes this absolutely unique, you know. If you can say absolutely unique, I probably I don't need the absolute in front of unique. You know. But the point is there that, you know, there, there is nowhere else in Scotland probably that, that, that's quite like that. But as you enter the, the building itself, um, you, you, right, you come into the, what's currently the anti-chapel, and that, that is not something that you would necessarily recognise. No, partly because it's smaller than that section was, because the screen that separates the anti-chapel from the rest of the chapel was moved back in the 19th century, um, in 1873. But after the First World War, that area at the west end of the chapel was made into a war memorial. So there was this fantastic wooden panelling, which was made following the arts and crafts movement at the time. And it had the names of all of the members of the university, the graduates, students, even staff who were killed during the First World War. So that was hundreds of names. And that was finished in the 1920s. And then after the Second World War, more names were added from the victims from the university of the Second World War. So um, that is a very poignant part of the university's history, but obviously not something that Elphinstone would have seen. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there obviously there are, there, on following that, that theme, that there are services um, 
yearly to commemorate the uh, oh. Yeah, no, we do. We have an annual um, remembrance service in the chapel um, and we kind of liaise with the um, Universities of Aberdeen Officer Training Corps. So all the students who are part of that come and they march from the barracks down to the chapel and the chapel is full for that. Um, the principal of the university um, lays a wreath alongside representatives from the army, the navy and um, Louisa, remind me, Army, Navy, and, and the Air Force as well. Air Force, you're missing they, one. They all have student units here at the university. Yeah. So, so the the um, wreaths are laid in the anti chapel at the memorial in there, and then after everybody goes out onto Alphonston Lawn, and there's a parade, um, and an inspection of which the principal takes part. Um. So yeah, that that happens annually. Yeah, and actually, there there is a point in there about that's the, the ceremonial life of the mm -hmm. chapel, you know, and of course that isn't. I mean, that's that's one of the most poignant and moving of the ceremonies that happens in the chapel. But there's also ceremonies to mark Founders' Day as well, isn't mm -hmm. there? And yeah, yeah, that that's on um, always around about the 11th of February, and the moderator for the Church of Scotland comes um, and speeches at that service as well. And again. That's a very well attended service by the whole university community. A lot of alumni would mm. come along that that service as well. Mm. And indeed, it, it should be pointed out that this, of course, is our 525th year this year. You know, very significant year. And then this this we did we did start off the year celebrating this with, yeah, with yeah. events, and it just shows you that, of course, the the year took a very different turn to what we all we all expected, really. But yeah, as so to, to sort of carry on, if you like, with our, our kind of virtual tour or, or walkthrough. So we've we've come into the the anti chapel, which I, I guess actually, so Louise, you mentioned that there's the the screen. I guess originally when you came in the door, you would have had where the anti chapel, the west end is. That would have been the nave, and then the screen, and then the the choir in the east end. So would that be the the sort of correct layout? Yeah, the the building was divided roughly in half by this amazing rude screen. Um, which is part of the choir stalls. So that's medieval wood carving put in the beginning of the 16th century, probably finished about 1506-1507. And then it was moved forward in 1873, because after a long period when the chapel wasn't in use as a chapel for services, it started to be used as a chapel again um, with the library being in the anti-chapel and the front bit being for services, but then they moved it back and the library was removed in 1870. So then the rude screen um, was moved a couple of years after that in order to give a bigger area for the whole university community to meet in the eastern part of the chapel. Yeah, I, I, I guess we're, I mean, there is so much, I mean, there's so much history. I mean, the, the chapel really reflects the history of kind of Scotland. You've got the Reformation, the Civil yeah. Wars, you've got, you know, much, much later things being reflected in it as well. So in, in the pre-Reformation period, before the, the Reformation of 1560, so you, you would have the nave where the, the students would have sat and the, the choir where the uh, the uh, the clergy would have sat. Well, and, actually, and, it actually wasn't like that because the bit in the nave behind the screen was for anybody from Old Aberdeen, from the members of the community. And all the members of the university sat in what we think of as the choir. Right. So originally there were only 
36 staff and students when the university actually started teaching and that quickly went up to 42 and there were some original diagrams it was very formal where everybody had to sit so if you were a theology student you sat in a certain place if you were an art student you sat somewhere else principal seat which is still the principal seat and there was a seat for the presenter there were six seats for choir boys so they could add to the worship so the university community staff and students and choir boys were all in front of the screen and then members of the Aberdeen community were behind the screen okay right well, fair enough and yes of course you mentioned that the, the, the carved would work on the, the both the screen and the seats and you can go and you can i mean it's, it's fairly obvious to identify the seats for the choir boys they are considerably smaller uh, you can also spot the one for the principal it's got a cushion i think doesn't it yes you're right the woodwork it's it's this is woodwork that elphinstone would have seen that has been touched by countless generations of students down through the the years and it's it's rich with emblems and, and carved regalia i love the fact louise tells a story about how the bishop elphinstone's mitre isn't it is under the smallest choir seat of them all and i think that's a really lovely picture of what bishop elphinstone was like yes apparently he was very humble he was actually illegitimate which back in the 15th century was not really a good start in life Mm -hmm. um, but he did rise to really important position. But the only um, coat of arms from him, which is from his time, is underneath the smallest seat in the chapel. But there is other carving there, which is amazing. So there's things like the vine reflecting, obviously, this is a Christian chapel. There's also things like the Tudor Rose, because James IV, who was um, patron of the university then he married margaret tudor so that was his link to england so that's why the tudor rose is there so there are both religious and secular and royalist symbology all around in that wonderful wooden carving indeed actually so when you mention um future bishop elphinstone's birth and you know whatever the marital status of his parents may may have been um you know it was clearly no impediment to his career and i i speak jokingly here as, as i'm also a glaswegian but you'd think maybe being a glaswegian would be an impediment to a career but it wasn't for bishop <laughs> it wasn't for bishop <laughs> elphinstone either really. yeah yeah yes, no. he was illegitimate and from glasgow <laughs> 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 but yes, there, there's so much of the, the life and times of, of, of you know Scotland, Europe, and and and, and policy and, and dynastic politics that are embedded into that chapel. And then, of course, we mentioned we've alluded to the Reformation on a couple of occasions here. And one of the great things about this is is that you have that woodwork, you have those choir stalls, and that is pre-Reformation woodwork right here in you know in 2020 and the question is i mean how, how has it survived how does i mean the you know the reformers they they didn't take it away yeah. well the powers that be at the university were still really embedded in the roman catholic tradition so they kept on until 1569 so several years after they were supposed to have stopped saying roman catholic mass and the story is that there were people coming up from um, Aberdeen to old Aberdeen where the university and the old cathedral are wanting to change things to tear down all of what they thought of as Roman Catholic iconoclasm or whatever and the students and staff stood at the entrance to the quad and because there's a small entrance they could stop them doing coming in 
And so they just continued up the high street to the Cathedral of St. Maccas, which is where Bishop Elphinstone was bishop, which wasn't protected, and they did their damage there. So although a lot of what was used in the early days from Roman Catholic times has gone, we also still have a lot that's left. So we have those wonderful seats, we have the carving from pre-Reformation days, and so that's down to the students and staff towards mm -hmm. the end of the 17th century, probably 16th century. Sorry, Mary Lee, was there something you wanted to add? No, 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 I was just going to say, you can see one of the, Louise always points out on her tours, which she does really well, and again, underneath one of the mercy seats is the, is the Catholic symbol for the Holy Spirit, which is one of the only ones, I think, that, that still survives, so yeah. Yes, it, it has the letters IHS, which <laughs> is something you associate with Roman Catholicism, and it's thought, because it's underneath the seat, if the seat is down, because they tip up, if the seat is down, you can't see it. And so I even read one thing where it was suggested that somebody actually sat specifically on that seat, so they wouldn't turn it up, so it wouldn't be destroyed by the reformers who might otherwise have just broken it and taken it away and burnt it. Yeah, I, th I think there's, there, 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 I mean, you're right, there, there's this, probably a sense that the Reformation was quite pragmatic in Aberdeen in the North East. I mean, there doesn't seem to be any wholesale violence or, you know, dinging doing of images or, or what have you that, you know, that happens elsewhere. And the, and the community does, uh, not just in the, the, the university, but throughout the North East as a whole, splits probably 50-50 quite peacefully between, you know, Catholic and Protestant. I, actually, I'm re reminded of the, um, in the, the, the city council records um, that when the reformers come into Aberdeen and actually Aberdeen's borough council is actually in session when the reformers come into the town and they record that the reformers come in and they did attack the place of the Carmelites, the White Friars and the, the Black Friars, the Dominicans in School Hill and uh, there's a bit of despoiling and taking away of goods and uh, the, the council records that this happened by people who came into the town from Angus and Mairns but not, you understand, were oh, any Aberdonians involved in this. <laughs> oh, right. Well, that's good to hear. Mm -hmm. One of the things I like about the chapel today is the fact that it's ecumenical. Yeah. So, um, obviously, we have our chaplains the university, but the services there invite preachers from all different traditions. Um, the Roman Catholic um, Church uses it again. So there were both Roman Catholic and Protestant services, which is fantastic because it reflects the broad community of the university, which isn't just one denomination. So, um, yeah, it's become very broad, and, and that's one of the things I love about the chapel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Abbot Jameson once preached in the pulpit, and did the pulpit come from, where did it come from again? The, the Marcus um, Cathedral originally. Yeah, Bishop, yeah, Bishop Stewart's pulpit. And Abbot Jameson loved preaching from that because he preached at our um, ecumenical service. He preached at the Catholic service and he loved how it symbolized the kind of coming together of the kind of Catholic Protestant and he really enjoyed preaching from it. So yeah, I think it's a really good symbol of that. Yeah, it is. And, and even just, you know, across the road and, and you know, the snow kirkyard or you know, St Mary at Neves, you know, that you have, you know, a, a fair continuity of burials of, of Catholics, you know, the, the Mingus or Menzies family, the Lairds of Pitfoddle, who were so many times incumbent of the, the role of Lord Provost of Aberdeen. And, you know, there was that kind of peaceful retention of, of relations between the two here. Yeah, so it's, it's good. It's, it's almost it's kind of reflected now in, in kind of current practice yeah, yeah. there. 
Yeah, and and we touch upon the pulpit there, which yeah came from St Michael's. So that's 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 old, yeah. <laughs> it's very old. It dates from the first half of the 16th century. I think 1535. So it was in um, St Michael's Cathedral for a long time. Um, it was there and it was in use until the 18th century, and then they they moved it and then it came into the chapel because at that point. Um, in the 19th century, the chapel had started being used for university services again, but there wasn't a pulpit, so it came to the university in, I think it was the 1880s, I'm not sure if I've got the date exactly right, but it came to the university in the second half of the 19th century, certainly. And there were these lovely panels from William Stewart's time, the Bishop of Aberdeen, way back in the 16th century. And we've still got his coats of arms and the initials WS from there. So it was put together again in what was then a Protestant chapel, and it's still used today. And of course, there was once the you know the chapel sort of comes back into use. And actually, sorry, that's that's the point. We should say a little bit about that intervening period between the Reformation when it comes back into use. We'll, we'll maybe come back to that in a second. But just as we're talking about it coming back into use, I think most of the windows date from this this reuse period, late nineteenth century onwards. Yes, we don't have any of the original glass. The oldest window is the west window, which is late nineteenth century. But most of the windows, well, more than half of the windows are 20th century, and they were designed by Douglas Strachan. And he designed windows for a lot of places in Scotland. Um, and the Aberdeen Chapel windows start off, I think, in before the First World War. And then the oldest is in the 1930s. So all of the East End windows were designed by Douglas Strachan. And I think most moving is the War Memorial window. We refer to the anti-chapel, which is now the War Memorial part of the chapel. And the big window there on the north wall is one that's designed by Douglas Strachan. And it shows the two constituent parts of the university. So the Crown Tower of King's College and the tower down in New Aberdeen of Marshall College, which came together to form the University of Aberdeen. And it just shows um, basically soldiers, students as soldiers in that windows, but that comes from 1920. And so our windows are modern. Yeah. As, yeah, I mean, going back to that point, but you know, the, the, the history of the chapel is effectively the history of Scotland, the history of so much that's affected Europe, the world here, you know, we're talking about as well, as well, all encapsulated into this, this building itself. And again, we touched on sort of you know the, the different use of it now, the ecumenical services, and of course, it's the the, the part that the, the chapel plays in the, the life of the wider community of, of Aberdeen. So, Mary Lee, is there something you'd like to say along the lines of the the, the the special place that the chapel has in the life of the university? Yeah, I mean, I guess like Louise said earlier. The, the chapel is ecumenical and it's used by a lot of different groups, obviously Catholic Mass on Sundays, we have Anglican Eucharist that happens on a Wednesday, and also we have some local groups who use it as well. So we have the Russian Orthodox Church community, they use it um, often for special occasions and Louise will know music concerts and, and things like that. Um, but I guess, like from my perspective, the chapel today for me is this space of um, 
just real peace and tranquility that's open for the whole community to use. So um, there's the Celtic term in places. And for me, that that's what it's like. It's where the kind of the gap between earth and God, if you like, kind of thins. And so many people, when they go into the chapel, will say that it just feels like that place of real peace. And you only have to flick through the kind of visitor's book to see that. So we try and have it open every day. There's dedicated quiet time just for anybody to go in and um, retreat from what can be the, the kind of madness of campus life um, as well. So yeah, so it's used by a, a lot of people for that too. No, that's, There's a wonderful brass play because you go in the door from the quad um, on the back of the rude screen where there's a quote from Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress and it just starts I won't read out the whole of it. It says, here one may, without much molestation, be thinking. And I point that out to visitors of the chapel and say, well, that for some people is the most important. It's a place where you can get away from the hubbub. And it doesn't include in it, but Bunyan says before that, in Pilgrim's Progress, I love to be in such places where there is no rattling with coaches, nor rumbling with wheels. <laughs> so that's how I think of the chapel sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's true. I think for so many people, they walk in and you just, you know, you just relax. And of course, weddings as well. Used as yeah, well. weddings. And actually, um, this is one, you know, one of the things we do get quite often, fairly regularly, is wedding blessings. So we've had quite a few alumni who come back 50 years later for wedding blessings, and they're always lovely to be involved, involved with. But I guess weddings are maybe partly our only exclusive aspect of the chapel use because they're only open to um, graduates and staff of the, the university and Robert Gordon um, University as well. So it's probably the only bit of it that's a little bit exclusive is weddings. And, and we do have occasional funerals, memorials, baptisms um, as well. So yeah, very much part of the community. Yeah. It's Mary Lee mentions baptisms and we have a wonderful font which was given us on the occasion of the quincentenary of the university by the incorporated trades of Aberdeen. And that just shows the link between the university and the city. In, indeed, yes. It may, it may be worth mentioning there, uh, William Guild, of course. Mm. Um, uh, um, who, who, yeah, well, I suppose he initially trained to be, or, or aimed to be a bishop, hadn't he? And then became principal of the university, but he was a great benefactor of the incorporated trades. He gifted, he bought, and what was the, the site of the Red Friars, the Trinitarian Friary in Aberdeen, and gifted it to the incorporated trades, hence the meeting Trinity Hall, which is, I think, the third incarnation of so to, to this day. But yes, I mean, the, the, the links between town and gown go way beyond this. I mean, the university is part and parcel of the life of the northeast of Scotland, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is an annual service as well where we celebrate that that connection, the, the kind of annual seven incorporated trades service. So. That's exactly what that's for, is to celebrate the closeness between the city, that crown and gown. Mm. So we've kind of we've, we've explored round the chapel, its its architecture, its significance, its its meaning to the the community. Is there, is there anything you you want to to add, Louise? Is there a point we we haven't touched upon? Well, obviously, there's thousands of points we haven't touched. Upon. <laughs> <laughs> Something that you feel cannot go without seeing. I don't think so. I think we've covered so much of it. And obviously, there's so much more to 
explore and hopefully when the chapel is open again we're back to more normal times and people can come in and discover it for themselves yeah yeah I think that's 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 very much the point, isn't it? I mean, this 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 is a teaser, a, a trailer, if you like, yeah. you know. And the the chapel will, yes, once once we have passed through, as we will do, the 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 current phase that we're in, then things return to a little bit like what they were. <laughs> and yeah, the chapel will be open. People will be able to come. You'll be able to explore the chapel and find out what it means to each individual as as they come through. You'll be able to discover it. For yourself, I often I actually often think that's one of the great things about old Aberdeen is it's it's not it's 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 a, a gem that you discover. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. It just always amazes me though that that um people will be on campus and and they don't even realise it or they've never been inside. You know, and and when people come during Welcome Week, we always have these big tours and people. You know, Louise often does them and we do have. A lot in attendance but it amazes me how many people have not or are not aware of the chapel and what it's like inside everybody's welcome once those doors are open to to go and visit indeed well mary lee and louise thank you very much for uh, uh, the briefest of brief introductions to a building whose, whose history and significance is is untellable in half an hour really so uh, Thanks very much for this. Um, and again, um, if people would like to email in with questions, you can email it into peru at abdn.ac.uk. That's P-E-R-U at abdn.ac.uk. So we'd very much welcome your questions. But in the meantime, Mary Lee and Louise, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Aberdeen.